Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's another edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie here to talk about the Montreal Canadiens. 4-3 victory in overtime in Game 5 over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Nick Suzuki with the series-extending goal on a nice pass on a 2-1-0 from Cole Caulfield. And Alex Galchenyuk, the Game 4 breakout hero for the Maple Leafs with the series-extending giveaway. Julian, I'm glad we get to talk this out because I'm having trouble unpacking this game. I don't even know what I just saw. So are you like similarly flummoxed by what happened in Game 5? So... You know, I was initially flummoxed, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to look at it from a bigger picture here, and then as we do the podcast, I think that'll help ease my way into the nitty-gritty things, because the Canadians have extended this series to another game, a game six, a game where it looks as if they're going to be able to play in front of at least 2,500 fans. And last I checked, uh, if you're looking for tickets, you better be ready to shell out about a thousand dollars at really? least. Oh yeah, it is expensive. Like the cheapest tickets are around that. And also, as we speak right now, we are undergoing the final night of curfew across the province here in Quebec. Wow. Friday, the very first night in a long time where people in Quebec can go out beyond 9 30 p.m so if you are a montrealer and you enjoy the canadians and you have gone through all of the stressful rigors that the pandemic has brought you were just fed up with the curfew you have to feel good the canadians found a way to keep it alive it looked it looked pretty bad at the beginning of the day a lot of people were showing out a lot of uh, dread on the timeline a lot of people were upset about eric gustafson being included in the lineup and then mm-hmm. to not only see the Canadians win, but to see Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, a duo that a lot of Canadians fans are pretty excited about. Caulfield, remember, this guy who did not play in game one and in game two of this series. Just for whatever reason, the team did not feel they needed him in the lineup. He ends up contributing huge, picking off Alex Galchenyuk's pass, leading towards that goal. I understand I'm talking a lot here now, but I think if you are in Montreal and you're a Canadians fan, you have to feel a sense of relief, not just off the goal, but everything that is to come over the next 48 hours in the big picture here, you cannot help but feel good. Man, I kind of feel better now, too. I was kind of disappointed that my Saturday night wouldn't be just a normal Saturday night, a working Saturday night. It's going to be now. 
but I'm kind of happy now. Montreal deserves this, right? You know, real life just around the corner. At least some fans, I guess the haves get to go to the game and maybe the have nots just get to go and, you know, celebrate beyond 9 p.m. out in the streets. I think, Tur- I think, I mean, I think I, that's great. I think that's a, I think a nice event for Montreal this game six. Yeah, I think terraces are, sorry. I realize I am not on a French podcast. I said terrasse. I think terraces is the English word. Terraces? Terraces, right? Like the, I've heard of terrace. Yeah. I've heard of terrace, yes. Uh, I think they're going to be open as well. Uh, maybe I might have to be fact-checked yeah. on that. So maybe people will be able to go to a terrace and watch watch the game somewhere. I'm sure people this has will This completely changed it. my outlook. I am happy yeah. that people are going to get to get outside and enjoy this hockey game with other people. Yeah. Real life in Montreal for a game six against the Maple Leafs. I'm, you know, you've completely flipped my mood. <laughs> I'm a new man That's, talking. On I'm telling podcast. you, but I'm, I'm telling you, man. Like, here's the thing. Like, and I'm sure we'll get into the to the Leafs as well because there's there was some bad. I'm sure. I mean, Rasmus Dean did not have himself a good game. Yeah. But man, uh, and I'm sure if you're looking at the Canadians locker room to to make it more about the players, this is a team that was coming off a game four where they were not able to get any goals and they were not able to. Uh, produce points on the board to to help out carry price the same guy who gave them that vote of confidence in game three uh, i got to ask carry price about that after game five uh, about the fact that his team was able to score four goals and he just looked up and smiled and said not surprised oh, i didn't realize that was you yes Another it was thing me. uplifting my mood this is great. it was me. Keep going keep going <laughs> yeah right look look that was another thing too that was the best game of the series so far man we had so no, many it games. It was not. Yes, it was. For Montreal, yes, it was. maybe. Okay, that but was a like terrible hockey game. No, come on. That was one of the better games we had seen in the series, if not the best one. Yes, the Canadians mm. went out to the lead, and then the third period, the Leafs made a game of it. We went to overtime. I don't know how. What other game? What game did you think was better than this? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, that's a pretty good point. I don't think come there has on. been that many good games. But like that was like an absolute slot fest. Like that was just not like was dis disjointed completely from the Leafs end. I don't think it was at all like a dominant performance from the Habs. They did just kind of find their way into a uh, into a situation where they were going to overtime in a game that seemed as though they were winning comfortably. Like it was a strange game. That's what that's what I sort of meant off the top. Like I'm having trouble sort of figuring out exactly what happened because it was a weird game. I guess it was entertaining in the end, but that wasn't like this like superb comeback where it was like, you know, incredibly exciting and all that. It just sort of happened and it didn't really happen with any excitement. It was just like, okay, Jake Muzzin just went to the net and all of a sudden the puck was in. and Okay. We got a tie game here. It was, it was just, it lacked dramatics for me and it was kind of a strange hockey game, but I, okay. We sort of hit, hit on a lot of things here. So let's, do you have a main takeaway from the game that we, that you can start off with and then we'll try and go through everything. I'm a little distracted by the fact that people in Montreal might be on terraces and people in Toronto are now going to be <laughs> at the edge of their seats hiding because they think the Maple Leafs might blow another series here. So uh, th- uh, that's that's an interesting dynamic in itself. But if you do have a main takeaway, uh, go for it. So the main takeaway I'll take from the game is, I mean, pretty clearly the best game we've seen from the games play so far in this series. And it's because of the fact that they were finally able to make life difficult for, for Jack Campbell, at least at the start of this game, with some of the goals they were able to, mm-hmm. to get going. And also some of that physical play that we saw early on in the series from the Canadians where they were just kind of just bowling over people, not necessarily to just get the puck, but just to bowl over people. 
uh, we could point to the first goal that Yorl Armir scored where Corey Perry makes a fantastic hit on, on, well, maybe not fantastic. I don't want to add that adjective, but he puts a hit on Rasmus Sandin that creates a turnover and leads to a goal scored. The traffic in front on the second goal, Yorl Armia is in the right place at the right time. He gets that goal. And Jesperi Kakanyemi on the forecheck makes it 3 nothing. Yes, the Canadians were not perfect in the second half of that game, but they showed some tenacity on offense. They got the goals they needed. They matched their output of goals to this point in the series in just one game. Even if the second half of the game was not perfect for them, uh, I think if you're the Montreal Canadiens, you can look at this performance and, and take a lot of positives from it. I still, I think they could take um, positives from the back half of the performance. Like I, I think they did a tremendous job and I'm trying to figure out what exactly it is. And I guess that leads to my takeaway. I just thought it was an inexplicable performance from the Leafs. Like, what even was that? I, I don't understand what I was seeing. Was I seeing a staunch defensive effort from the Canadians? Or were I, was I seeing the Leafs just sort of revert back to this default setting when they have a big moment in the playoffs and they just don't get it done? Like, it was as bad and as disjointed as I've seen the Leafs in a very long time. And it's almost like they did so. They chose to be in that default setting almost uniformly, except for William Nylander, who was tremendous in this game again. But, like, mm-hmm. off the bat, Jack Campbell, just, like, squirrely. Like, he wasn't really comfortable in his net, it seems. Uh, you mentioned the, the mistakes from Rasmus Sandin, the pressure and the giveaways that that caused. Austin Matthews was unrecognizable in this game to me. Mitch yes. Marner and Hyman, Zach Hyman, were ineffective. I mean, they combined for a goal, but that goal just illustrates sort of how – off they seem to be like Mitch Marner passed up an opportunity to shoot and to throw a high percentage pass to someone else ended up behind the net got lucky that his pass bounced off a shin pad and then Zach Hyman barely just barely got a touch on the puck to get credit for the goal he whiffed on the puck but he got credit for the goal in the instance it was like it was all very strange Joe Thornton completely out of place in this game I think they were extremely fortunate to force overtime with a terrible performance. And I got to ask the question of why, like they finally have this chance to break free against a team that they fancy themselves probably as a clear favorite over finally. I mean, they've always faced teams that were at least they're equal, but more so better than them. They had John Tavares on the ice at the morning skate buzzing around looking like he's going to be back in a matter of days. And they had this Montreal team dead in the water and they played their worst game of the series and one of their worst games of the entire playoffs. I just don't understand what happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as I think about it more and more since the game ended, I'm like more confused about what just happened. Like that was a terrible, terrible game for the Maple Leafs. And it doesn't make sense how they got to this point. I don't know. I mean, I, I know I, I still, I looked a lot from the Canadians vantage point, but I look at a team that realized that, you know, everyone was pretty much looking at them to fail and they had shown nothing in this to this point in the series that they could even put on a performance like that. And the fact that they were able to get the chances that they were able to get, uh, and again, making life a little difficult for Jack Campbell, a vast improvement over what we had seen from the Canadians offensively through the first four games. I think the Canadians just entered that game uh, knowing they needed this win. Obviously, the Leafs obviously would want that win to advance to the next round, but the Canadians were in a must-win situation, and it was natural for them to kind of come out flying and and try to take and try to capitalize on their opportunities. It's just that they capitalize on their opportunities because there's been games where they've tried that and they haven't necessarily done that. It's not to say that 
you know, the Canadians were getting all the chances at one end and the Leafs weren't getting anything. They were just as busy, if not busier in front of the Montreal Canadiens net. And Mm -hmm. I'm still very much surprised that they weren't able to get any chances. And Carey Price, who I did not mention until this point, I think for two out of three periods looked really good. But the third period, I mean, the shot from distance uh, from Jake Muzzin goes in, beats him. Uh, the Jake Muzzin deflection on the shot that I thought was an Alex Galchenyuk goal ends up being an assist because of the deflection. I'm sure Price would very much want that one back. But I also think considering how that game was going and the score at 3-1, wasn't surprised to see that the Leafs were going to go ultra offensive and, and kind of dominate uh, the chances in that period, or at least try to go on the offensive enough to try to tie this game. That wasn't a surprise to me. Uh, but I think Carey Price, if it wasn't for him in those first two periods, we're looking at a game that's very much in the Leafs' favor because they definitely had a lot of high danger chances, a lot of chances in the slot. They just didn't capitalize on them the way that Montreal did. And, and that's still very weird in itself, again, because Montreal has, has struggled just scoring goals at different points in this series. It's just a situation where they were able to capitalize on them for once. Okay, I have several like takeaways, maybe hot takes, and I'll try and run them by you here. But you mentioned Carey Price finally gets the run support, right? So if you're looking at this game and reflecting here, obviously they had the Montreal Canadiens had to win this game, but Carey Price had to win this one, didn't he? I mean, he's been asking for it. He hasn't got it for all this time, all these playoff series, all these years of being in the playoffs, hasn't got that run support. He gets spotted a 3-0 lead. I mean, this is a must-win game. The series is on the line, but for Carey Price and to keep the flies off Carey Price in the media and all that, I mean, oh, this yeah. is, this was a must win for him. And, and uh, in my opinion, but if you're thinking that going into overtime, I mean, that's what all the, that's what all the Montreal Canadian fans are thinking, right? Like Carey Price, it's going to be on him if they don't win this game. No, I think a lot of fans would have definitely uh, gone on Carey Price and, and, yeah, I, I don't think you're far off on that. I think a lot of people would have pointed to so many different things, but Carey Price, especially considering what he had said after game three, where he put a lot of confidence in his goal scorers to put together some goals, for him to be spotted a 3 nothing lead and then to allow four consecutive goals, oh yeah, there would be tons of criticism coming his way. And again, like the goals I mentioned in the third period that he allowed, I'm sure he would like to at least have one or both of them back. So if that, especially if that overtime goal was a what we like to call a, this is radio, this is radio host Tony Marinero and TSN 690. Whenever Carey Price or any goaltender for the Canadians allows a bad goal, I don't know why he does it, but he calls it a banana. And for whatever reason, I was going to mention the name, but I mentioned the word banana, and I realized I was going to have to add that context. So there you go. There's some context. All that to say, if Carey Price allowed that fourth goal in overtime, yeah, a lot of people would have been upset at Carey Price, and that would have definitely been a talking point and a weird way to end his year, considering it started with him just being okay in the regular season and then going through his injury troubles and people noticing, hey, he's not the same Carey Price of old. And then he goes through this stretch in the playoffs where he's playing his best hockey, and then in the deciding game, he would allow four goals. But of course, we are not in that reality. He wins game five, and the Canadians get to fight and live to see another day. Well, he avoided even having to see a shot in overtime, I believe, because the first real moment in overtime uh, produced a goal, and that was the uh, misguided spin-around, no-look pass from Alex Galchenyuk after, I believe, Zach Bogosian moved up on the, on the play. I could be fact-checked on that one, but uh, a defenseman moved up, and Alex Galchenyuk decided, as one of the last men back, to throw a spin, no-look pass through center 
obviously a poor decision on his part. So give me the context here. I mean, you watched Alex Galchenyuk for years play for the Montreal Canadiens. He had some great years and he obviously flamed out in Montreal by the end. I mean, we've seen some really good stuff from Galchenyuk, some of that high, high skill. We've seen some of that facilitative quality that he's brought to his game since he's come to Toronto, or at least it seems since he's come to Toronto. Uh, and first, this is really the first big mistake that we've seen him, at least the one that's costly. So is this more a part of his game than Maple Leaf fans have probably seen? Uh, and what's the Canadian, what's the Montreal Canadiens fan reaction or Twitter reaction to Galchenyuk being, I mean, being the guy who haunted them in game four and led them into this must win game. And now being the guy who basically served this win to them on a platter by sending Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki away in transition there. Let me handle the haunting stuff first, because I can think of a few fans who were definitely bracing themselves uh, for Alex Galchenyuk to win this series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And everyone looks back on his tenure in Montreal, a 30-goal scorer, the guy who was supposed to be the future center for this team. Remember, once upon a time, he was drafted, and the Montreal Canadiens were hoping he would be their center of the future. That did not work out at all, and that's what led to him kind of flaming out and bouncing around from team to team to team, and now he's in Toronto. Uh, but to to see him uh, produce as much as he did in game four, a lot of people were just like cringing. But in game five, to see him do that, uh, unfortunately for him, in overtime, the giveaway pass, uh, I mean, obviously a lot more people are going to care about the fact Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki were able to combine, but a lot of people were, I'm pretty sure, surprised. I think Andrew Berkshire, my good buddy Andrew Berkshire, formerly of Sportsnet, was saying, hey, uh, you know, Alex Galchenyuk was contributing to the game-winning goal and a goal for Toronto. You know, a lot of people are going to make some jokes. A lot of half fans oh, yeah. are going to take advantage and make some jokes. In terms of uh, the his time in Montreal, I still feel in some ways he didn't necessarily – I guess this is just my opinion from just what I've seen. I still don't feel he got all that great of a shake. I mean, you know, they tried to make him a center. Maybe he wasn't necessarily the best center for that team or the best center just to begin with. But I still feel that the way they kind of flip-flopped with him, putting him at center, then putting him at wing, and then back and forth, and the instability that was there, uh, that did not necessarily help his case. And maybe didn't admit, and I, I still feel it affected his confidence. But again, that's just my personal opinion from how I feel they handled Alex Galchenyuk because he was very much a productive player for the Canadians. Again, he had a 30-goal season for them as well. So it was a guy who I thought was going to be a part of this Canadian's future for quite some time. So to see him uh, in with other teams in the NHL, quite a surprise and quite a track for, for Galchenyuk. And, and there's a part of me as, as someone who's watched the Canadians and, and watched Dallas Galchenyuk, there's a part of me that's kind of happy that he's at least still in the NHL and he's turned himself into a somewhat productive player with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I mean, uh, off that turnover, I think a lot of Maple Leafs fans obviously will feel very disappointed at what happened, but Otherwise, there are some other moments in this series where he's looked okay. And if the if the Maple Leafs want to keep him around, I mean, that's not a bad forward to have necessarily if he continues to progress at, at what he's at right now. Because he's not the same guy that he was early on in his career. But there's hope he could still be an NHL player. Certainly. I, I mean, I think he's sort of uh, defined his ceiling a little bit. I, I think this mm. is probably... Uh, you know, the best we're going to see, at least in terms of his role right now as sort of a middle six winger who can spot in and, and provide some decent minutes with other decent players. As long as he continues uh, to embrace that role, I think he can continue to carve out a role in the NHL. Another team coming in helps with the player population expanding. Um, you know, but back back to sort of the, the, the task at hand here, 
I mean, it's going to be Galchenyuk that gets the, you know, most of the negative attention or the attention after this one. But if we're talking about giveaways that were costly, Rasmus Sandin is at the height mm. of that for the, or at the forefront of that for the Maple Leafs. Um, he, you know, a, a, a direct turnover from him turned into a goal or two of the three Montreal Canadiens goals in regulation. Uh, and he didn't play much in the game after he gave up the second one on the Kotkaniemi goal. Um, you know, it, it's tough because it, it's just bounces, right? Like these things can happen. Like, I, I guess he made a poor decision to not, bank the first one off the glass as Corey Perry steamed in uh, and threw his weight at him and it resulted in Joel Armia getting a you know a, a beautiful look from the high slot uncontested uh, and the second one like he's trying to make a nice play and it you know it just happens to hit the top of a foot or, or a stick and bounce right in front of the net so I mean if those in those two instances if Jack Campbell reaches out and covers it before the Kanyemi goal or if Yoel Armia misses the net in that instance or Zach Bogosian reads the play a little bit better and breaks it up with a good stick. Like, I don't know if he's being, you know, sat on the bench for the rest of the game, but I do think there has to be a reaction. There's always a reaction, right? We just saw Travis Dermott play in game four and he was basically a ghost. And again, if we're talking about, you know, describing Maple Leafs defenseman, ghost is a positive. Travis Dermott was a ghost because he's not making mistakes. He's just doing his job and getting the puck back up to the forwards so that they can do their thing. TJ Brody is a ghost. He's their best defenseman. He's a ghost. You don't see him. You don't talk about him. He just does his job. And Rasmus Sandin is not necessarily that. He's got a little bit more flair. He's got a little bit more offensive upside. But he also is making the mistakes that Sheldon Keefe wants to eliminate from his group. So the guy who's been a spark, the guy who's taken top power play minutes from Morgan Riley, is probably on the outside looking in coming into game six. And I don't really know how fair that is. But that's just the fact of the matter is Rasmus Sandin and the mistakes he made were the costly mistakes in the game, even more costly than the Alex Galchenyuk mistake, because there was two of them. I guess in the end, you know, that was the one that provided the decisive moment. So I wonder what they do with Galchenyuk. I wonder if it means anything, but it's like, OK, these two have been huge, not huge, but fairly you know, reasonably sized um portions of the story and the success for Toronto in this series already and now two mm -hmm. mistakes what does that mean for the Montreal Canadiens moving or the Toronto Maple Leafs moving forward I'm not really sure it'll be interesting to see what Sheldon Keefe does with those two ahead of game six I just want to add this with Rasmus Sandin I just want to make sure my math is right here but I think my math is right here the Montreal Canadiens have scored eight goals in this series including the four they scored in game five I can think of three of them uh, that came with Rasmus Sandin directly involved in the play, where the mm -hmm. he gets hit by Corey Perry, leading to the Joel, Joel Armia goal in Game 5. Uh, I already mentioned the Kock and Yemi goal, uh, where he gets his pocket picked. And I go back to Game 1, where Paul Byron, that 50-50 battle before he scores that amazing goal, who's the defenseman he beats? It's Rasmus Sandin. Yeah. I mean... I can't think of too many other great moments from this guy throughout this series, but uh, if I'm Rasmus Sandin, I'm not going to say it's a series to forget, but I think he could, <laughs> he's had some better stretches of play, unfortunately, and the Canadians for whatever reason have just been able to take advantage of his play and, and get some goals off him. Yeah. And I think in game three, he was a little bit limited uh, by the end of the game uh, from Keith in terms of his usage, because I don't know if it was because of mistakes, maybe, you know, I was just mentioning, you know, the mistakes, the costly ones are the ones that remove you from the lineup, but maybe he made another mm -hmm. mistake that just didn't end up costing them on the score sheet. And that's why 
Sheldon Keith took him out of the lineup, and that's it's just easier to spin the narrative when the puck actually goes into the back of the net. Um, okay, I got a few more. I got a few more takes for you or ideas just go based off. off this game. But I think for the Leaf side, we should just go to the other end of the spectrum in terms of performances first, and that would be uh, talking about William Nylander. I mean, this guy right now is the best version of himself. Two more assists in the game, making seven points in five games. His goal streak was snapped, but it wasn't without trying. I think Natural Statric had him for four shots and six scoring chances in the game. And he's not getting the proper power play time. I mean, we, we we can, I don't really want to talk about this again because we've already talked about it at length, but Joe Thornton and Jack Hyman were bad in this game. They did not play well. Joe Thornton in particular was terrible. And the Leafs got that late power play. I'm not sure if they were, they were still needing two goals at the time because uh, Jake Muzzin scored actually right at the tail end of the power play. And they didn't have William Nylander, the only guy with a pulse in this game for the Leafs for the most part on that power play. It was absolutely absurd, but this guy deserves his flowers. He gives, he deserves all the credit in the world for his performance in this series. He's the reason why they're up three, two. I don't think that's a hot take at all because we've seen very little from the top line and we know we're not going to get too much from the Maple Leafs bottom six, even though Jason Spezza is, is a regular contributor in terms of secondary scoring. I mean, this is the William Nylander show right now. You guys are seeing the best version of him distilled right now as fans or onlookers of the Montreal Canadiens. Um, I guess just your impressions of William Nylander. I, I, I felt compelled to talk about him because it was the only good thing from the Maple Leafs tonight. But uh, what are you guys seeing out of William Nylander in this series? I have to agree with you. And I, I've made the point as well that, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs that uh, the Montreal Canadiens are getting right now, uh, when I looked at the series and thought, okay, well, the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win it in seven games. I envisioned a scenario where Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner obviously would be crucial uh, for the Canadians to, you know, obviously shut down, but I figured they'd get their points in, they'd get some opportunities in and they haven't been nearly as effective. Those two players, they haven't been nearly as effective as I thought they would be. And in their absence of their production, William Nylander has stepped up and has gotten himself goals and not just, you know, just shots from wherever he's putting himself near the net and he's, he's made an impact for this team. And uh, did he get a point? I think he got a point tonight. Uh, if assists. I'm mistaken. Both, he got two both assists. sort of, both sort of, you know, secondary, secondary assists, but yeah. still points on the left. Still points on the left for William Nylander, a guy who on this team, you can correct me if I'm wrong, what the fourth best player on this team, depending on where you rank, what, like, I work depending on where you rank certain players, but I, I guess in my view, I see him as the team's fourth best player, but I don't say that as a slight, like the Toronto Maple Leafs have Austin Matthews, John Tavares and, and Mitch Marner. Like if you're fourth behind those guys, that's not so bad. Uh, but William Elander has shown that, you know, in a play in the playoffs where it really matters, uh, he's able to produce and he's been able to, to do some great things for the Leafs. And I'm surprised just like you are that he's not being uh, he's not being put getting more minutes on, on special teams. He's not being looked at for more ice time if necessary. Like he's proven to be the the best offensive player this team has uh, throughout this series. And it's very clear the Leafs are not necessarily they're not playing at full strength. And their top guys have not necessarily been as effective as they might like them to be. So uh, leading on William Nylander might not necessarily hurt this team. I think they should do that, especially for game six coming up. Nylander played seven fewer minutes than both Matthews and Marner. And Sheldon Keefe was asked about that in the post game. And he gave a pretty detailed response saying, you know, 
there's matchups and William Nylander actually keeps his shifts pretty short. So it might be a product of him just losing 10 seconds per shift. Um, and that's fine. But Nylander's playing the way he was in those first two periods, literally making something happen every time he's on the ice. And no. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No one else doing the same. No one else even doing the same thing. Like one of Nylander's shifts was more productive than most people's entire outings in terms of what they were able to produce <laughs> offensively in terms of shots and scoring chances. Like he was just on fire every time he was out there and you got to recognize that at some point and continue to mm -hmm. put him on the ice. That leads me to my next theory. And I think if you were looking at incomplete information with this series, like let's say you were told William Nylander has been the best player for Toronto in the series and the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Zach Hyman line would be playing very poorly. And that Phil Deneau is maybe the best player on the Montreal Canadiens. And maybe even by the goals that have been scored in this series, you might think without seeing the actual outcomes that Montreal was ahead. I'm kind of thinking now at like a macro level, how are the Maple Leafs even ahead in this series? Because Montreal seems as though it's achieving precisely what it wanted. With Phil Deneau basically shutting down with Weber and Sherrod, that top unit for uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, it basically is turning this into a battle of the depth, battle of depth. And when you look at the Montreal Canadiens, who have Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli, who scored a bunch of goals, and Corey Perry, and yes, Barry Kotkaniemi, a lot of good guys in their bottom nine forward group compared to the Leafs bottom nine forward group that doesn't have John Tavares anymore. And that's a bit of the incomplete information that you might get. Like if you were basing this series, distilling it all down to the depth, bottom nine versus bottom nine, I think you'd like Montreal in that scenario. So how is it that the Maple Leafs are ahead with the fact that Montreal has done a, such a great job against Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? Where's the difference in the series right now? Is it just William Nylander? Is William Nylander just the difference? Well, I'll, I'll tell you a few things. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens power play has been terrible, and I get that the Leafs power play has not been good, but the Leafs can say they scored goals on their power play. The Montreal Canadiens are 0 for 14 on their power play uh, through five games in this series. That's one reason I could think of. Uh, up until game five, there were stretches where the Canadians were not doing well in transition. They could barely complete passes. And again, they were not making life difficult for Jack Campbell in, in front of the net. Like at one point, he had only allowed like four goals throughout the series. Like the team could barely score more than two goals. 
Uh, they got shut out in game four. Again, I keep referencing this, but after Carey Price had given them a vote of confidence saying, hey, I believe in my guys, they can score. Uh, the Canadians offensively were just not firing, right? Those same guys were mentioning, like a Nick Suzuki or Tyler Toffoli, they were not producing. The depth that was supposed to be counted on to provide some goal scoring was not working out. And, and, and Brennan Gallagher, I mean, he's trying to impose himself in the series, but he has not been that force that a lot of people expect him to be. Thomas Tatar has been straight up invisible uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. And also this stat, which is probably, it's bad, but it's also really impressive. We have played five games in this series, Justin. Mm-hmm. Can you guess the amount of points the Montreal Canadiens defense has picked up in those games? Um, it can't be much. It can't be much. Justin, the Montreal Canadiens defense has picked up as many points through five games as you and I. There you go. I thought you were going like, to say, no, on. it's actually a lot. What have you been watching? <laughs> no, no. I was no. a little worried so- for a second there. No, no, but because no. I'm trying to think of all the goals, and it's all breakaway, Paul Byron, mm-hmm. Josh Anderson early, uh, turnovers deep in the offensive zone that they're creating. Like, this, it is the work of the forwards for sure, yeah. Absolutely, but, like, there's no, like, Jeff Petrie skating up ice trying to create a play. There's no mm-hmm. blast from the point, bypassing everybody, scoring a goal. Uh, the, the defense, I mean, I, like I said, it's pretty much impressive, like, You'd think, okay, maybe like Weber gets a point or Petrie gets himself a point. The Canadians put in Eric Gustafson in the lineup. Uh, and a lot of people were upset about that because they thought Alexander Romanov would be able to play. But yeah. one argument that was placed in favor of Gustafson being put in the lineup was the fact that, okay, he can carry the puck. He has some offensive flair to his game. He had no shots on net, no hits, no shot blocks. Like, he... Yeah. I mean, a lot, yeah, I know you're saying like, hey, you know what, defend, some defense out there, they could, if they're ghosts and you don't recognize them, they do well. But for a guy like Eric Gustafson, who was put in the lineup of over a, a young, confident rookie in Alexander Romanov, who doesn't do anything, uh, especially for a defense court, again, that has not put up any points, I see that as a bad thing. So I could point to a list of different things why the Montreal Canadiens uh, – oh, I didn't even mention the fact that – and I probably did actually, but I didn't even mention for this part of the uh, of the podcast here – Remember, Cole Caulfield only started playing in game three of this series. Yasperi Kakanyemi only came in in game two of this series. And I get that the Montreal Canadiens won game one, but imagine if the Canadiens had played with Caulfield and Kakanyemi from the start of this series and not from games two and three. Is it a different series? There's a chance it might be. So I can point to a a whole bunch of reasons why the Montreal Canadiens were not uh, are not ahead in this series. And yeah, there's some good things that they did. And what's 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 sad is, is all the bad has overshadowed the fact that Austin Matthews has not been as effective as he should be, as I expected him to be. And Mitch Marner, a bit of the same deal. And yeah, Philip Deneau does deserve a lot of credit. The same guy who Nathan McKinnon, you know, kind of bigged up earlier in the season as an underrated center. The same guy who reportedly turned down a $30 million deal and there is a whole bunch of speculation on what's going to be happening for him as a UFA this coming offseason. I see the Canadians keeping him. I don't know about you, but there's a bunch of reasons oh, why better. the Canadians are. Yeah, they, I, I think they should. I mean, there's a 
there's language politics, unfortunately, that will probably play into this because of the whole French Canadian thing. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. that's probably going to play into it. But I also think that Phil Deneau, with what he's able to do as a defensive forward, I, I I don't see the Canadians giving that up if they could find a way to keep him at a cheaper deal. I know I'm rambling long, but yeah, there's a lot of reasons why the Canadians are not leading the series. It's almost like both these teams are leaving it in the balance and nobody's coming out and grabbing it. That's what it seems like. Because yeah. I think there's an argument for both teams to just... Like, why haven't they put their best foot forward here? Something's missing on both sides. Uh, and it's it's a little strange. Back to my initial point, it's strange the way the Maple Leafs approached this game or at least performed within it. That leads me to my last take, you talking about Phil Deneau. If, if, um, if William Nylander's been the best player in this series, and I think he has, Phil Deneau's been the second best, hasn't he? I mean, he's produced That's nothing. really interesting you say that. Nothing offensively. Produced nothing. But he shut down Austin Matthews. He's doing those things that are not going to get him that big payday from the Montreal Canadiens, at least in an arbitrator's room. But part of the reason Matthews isn't playing as well, and I think part of the reasons is self-inflicted as well, because I, I, some of the stuff that I saw him from night from him tonight is not explainable to me, just the way he was moving off the puck. Like it's not like Philip Deneau is in his pocket 24 seven. But what Phil Deneau is doing to shut down Matthews to make it so that this is a battle of depth and not a battle of the top end players. This is more of a, uh, what's it called? A weak link team or a strong link, the weak link versus strong link theory. It's not your best player. It's the ground up. And that's what Phil Deneau is helping make this series is a test of the depth. So I got to think that he's been not just Montreal's MVP, but behind William Nylander, the best skater in the series. That's a really interesting take because I think depending on who you ask here in Montreal, uh, even though he hasn't really put up a lot of points, a lot of people, I, I did hockey inside out the other day with the Montreal Gazette and we asked the question, who's the best player behind Carey Price? Because we feel he's been the best one so far. A lot of people actually gave it to Cole Caulfield because of the fact that the fact that he was inserted in the lineup and the fact that he's able to stick candle his way into the zone and create zone entries and get shots on net. Remember this is at a point where the team was goal starved. Uh, this guy was looked at as like, hey, this guy's been pretty good in this series so far for what he's been able to do. Uh, one other guy who has been kind of weird with his play, but he got two goals in, in game five, Yol Armia, who leads the team in points. He's mm-hmm. probably going to get himself some some admiration here and there, obviously playing some special teams as well, but he's been getting some goals in this series. But I think because of the fact that the Canadians have had issues with getting points from any well not anybody but obviously on defense the fact that leading up to game five they were not able to put pucks in the net uh and the fact that they were pretty much it seemed as if they were getting outclassed in certain ways by the trauma Leafs. Like, i think i think game four really really upset a lot of people and really upset a lot of fans making them think man this team really can't hang with the toronto maple leaves and it really just put phil Deneau on the side it really made people forget like oh yeah like Austin Matthews is not running roughshod over the, over the Montreal Canadiens in this series. Like Phil Deneau and, and the Canadiens are, are, have relatively kept him in check. And, and the fact that William Nylander has had to step up again, he's been the, he's probably been the best player in this series, but that's also pretty good from a defensive standpoint. It's just that the Canadians have just not been able to, to be able to actually, I say William Nylander be the best player in the series. I could still make the argument for Carey Price, but all that to best say, skater. best skater, best skater, fine. But, I mean, I think with a lot of the bad that has happened with the Montreal Canadiens through this series, you're right. I think a lot of people have just kind of 
pushed off to the side the fact that Phil Deneau uh, and and the Canadians have just relatively have che- have kept uh, Austin Matthews in check for most of this series, and it's not a it's not a discussion topic. I feel has been talked about a lot. No, I mean, I mean, my my hot take or whatever was that maybe Montreal should be leading this series, but maybe it's just so that Montreal has done the things to give themselves a chance to win this series. Certainly they're going to have to win two more, obviously to win the series in seven games, but they've gotten the goaltending they needed from Carey Price. They found a formula to shut down two of the best players in the world that play together and formed maybe the best partnership in the NHL, maybe all year, if you want to take away, or if you want to discount the fact that Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid spent a lot of time apart. Matthews and Marner from the very start of the season have played together and have run roughshod over everybody. And Phil Deneau in that top line, maybe Tatar's not doing anything offensively, Many, maybe Brendan Gallagher is not doing anything offensively, but you keep ramming those two lines together head-to-head, and it's a wash, and that's all you can ask for if you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, at least in my opinion. So the recipe's there here for Montreal to pull this upset. They've got price at a high level and they've got something for Austin Matthews every night. Maybe he breaks through eventually. You think he would break through eventually. And that's obviously not a good sign for Canadians fans, but right now they're like the, 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 uh, the makings of an upset are in place here. Oof. I, I think you're scaring a lot of Torontonians right now with that talk. I mean, Hey, look, I'm all for a fun series. I said Leafs and seven, if the Canadians find a way to win that, that's hey, look, I'm just here for the fun in this series, but uh, geez, I feel a lot of Torontonians right now are just thinking, "Go oh, no, here we go again. We've seen the, we've seen the Leafs with this lead and, you know, they, they should have won game five and they're going on the road to game six. There's going to be fans. And, and what the Canadians do this, it's just this weird, like, like terrible flashbacks to all these series losses and all that you're scaring people, Justin, but you also have a point like the, the Montreal Canadians need to take this one game at a time. And I hope they're able to, it seems as if they're really excited. I mean, anyone would be, but in top in hearing from Phil Deneau, just talk about game six, just being like, Hey man, it's game six Saturday night in front of a whole bunch of fans. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm sort of paraphrasing it, but it was more along the lines of what he said. And just kind of hearing him say that, it was just like, wow, like, yeah, like that's, he sounds excited. Like, and but you have to think a lot of the Canadians players seem excited about that as well. So I don't want to say the advantage is in their court, but you go off the high of winning game five and you get to go home to game six where there's going to be fans who, again, the ticket price is crazy. I have never thought of an idea of a, I never thought the day would ever come where you're paying like a grand for nosebleeds, but it looks like that might be happening on Ticketmaster. But like, there's going to be fans there because I'm sure there are enough Canadians fans who are going to be like, get me in the building, get me in the building. I've wanted to see this Canadians team all year. Get me in the building to watch the, my favorite team, uh, you know, play against the Toronto Maple Leafs for the first time since 1979. It is literally the hottest ticket of the year in Montreal. So I don't know. I, I think if you're a Montreal Canadiens player, man, you you have no choice but to feel excited for game six. And if you're able to continue playing the way you played it, at least at the start of game five, that's a good, it's a pretty good recipe to, to, to at least force a game seven. I'm telling you, man, at least from a fan perspective, environment is going to reflect mood. Leaf fans are going to be in their basements, drinking beer out of brown bottles, you know, on the edge of their seat, uncomfortable because this is the same old Leafs and now the pressure is off Montreal Canadiens fans who could be at the terrace they could be at the game they could just be 
enjoying things from the comfort of their own home. It doesn't really matter because the pressure's on the Leaf side and the Montreal Canadiens, they can just they can just enjoy a game six in Montreal. Not to say that they shouldn't think they should win and that they won't be upset if they lose. But the this is where the feeling seeps into this for Maple Leafs fans because they've seen this story play out before where they blow the opportunity to win a postseason series. They haven't done it in 17 years. Not that the, the historical element, element means anything, but I think when you, there's just going to be a pretty ser- serious juxtaposition between the feeling in one fan base and the feeling in the other leading up to game six on Saturday night. I will add this uh, game six at the bell center. Uh, I don't know if anyone who works at the bell center or works with the Canadians listens to this podcast. I have one request, one, one request for game six. The anthem singer for game six has to be Jeanette Renault, uh, a legendary Quebec singer uh, who has sung the anthem before at Canadians playoffs games and just Canadians games before. She brings it every time she sings. She has to be the anthem singer for game six. I can't tell you all the other names of all the other people who are singing anthems. When Jeanette Renault sings the anthem before Canadians games, chills. It brings chills. And if she doesn't perform at game six, I will be disappointed but you know, there's a game to be played, so I'll get over that very quickly as a as a you know fan of the game and just you know yeah. someone just into it for the stories. But I think a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans, a lot of Quebecers in particular, would be very elated in any if in any format, any way she's there. Jeanette Renault sings that game six. Really weird thing to bring up on the podcast, but I think it's something that should be brought up. I, there's a lot of hey. things. Again, the fact that they got themselves to a game six, like that's to, to me, like just as someone, just a fan of the stories of the storylines in this series, that's exciting. That's super cool for the first time in this pandemic in this country, or at least since last year, there will be fans at a hockey game in Canada. And it's going to be in Montreal at the Bell Center for game six for a series between the Leafs and the Canadians. If you were looking at the first few games, you're like, man, I I was hoping that this series would be a little bit better. Game five has completely changed the outlook on this series. Now you look at game six and there's all this hype. There's all this anticipation. It's really exciting. I want it to be Saturday. I, I don't want it to be Friday. Let's just skip Friday. Like, let's let's skip Friday. Let's get to Saturday. I want to watch this damn game. Like I said, man, you, you changed my mood. I think it was doom and gloom because I thought maybe a Saturday night off for me, or at least I wouldn't have to go as far deep into it. But this is what we need. We need one game, at least this year, with fans in the stands at a Canadian barn. We need to see it, and we're going to get that Saturday night in Montreal for game six, the biggest game of the year. That goes without saying. Um, let's click quickly look, look forward. Uh, Montreal, any lineup changes? I mean, Gustafson be back in. Is it time to pull the ace out of the sleeve with Romanov? Do you expect Dominic Ducharme to do anything with the lineup for game six? It's me. I'm not going to try to act like a, prognos- a prognosticator on that one, I guess. Or I guess I got to pull the crystal balls, I suppose. But uh, Eric Gustafson, you again. I guess that's what I would do, I guess. Uh, Gustafson, again, I didn't feel he really created all that much, but I also feel don't feel as if the defense necessarily did all that much. I know Ben Sherrod had a few zone entries here and there, but again, no points in the last few games. Like, something has to give here. Uh, I'm also still surprised Brett Kulak didn't try it because I think if I think if the, uh, the Canes want to give themselves a chance, they need to make themselves as mobile as they can at the back. And I think Brett Kulak could at least provide that edge. 
Um, unless they feel that John Merrill, who didn't necessarily play all that much in game five, is going to draw out. I, I, I think that's a big key in all this. Maybe they could make that tweak there, and that's what we'll see either Brett Kulak or Romanov go in. I'm still surprised Romanov didn't get to play a game at all. This is a guy who last year in the bubble, uh, during the play-in and in their playoff series, this was a guy who was not eligible to play for the Canadians, but the Canadians still wanted him around the team to get experience, to, to see what it's like to, to be in a playoff atmosphere. And mm-hmm. it felt as if like the Canadians were really happy to have him around. And even for the regular season as well, he had that start where fine, he wasn't putting up points, but like he looked confident out there and, and he looked fearless and sure he regressed to rookie form, but it wasn't like bad. He was just playing like a rookie. And now he is not drawn in at all. I just feel not to go on a side tension here, but I will here. Considering how Kakanami has been able to play, and I know he's got like, you know, a couple games experience under his belt, but, you know, he's still a relatively young player. Considering how Cole Caulfield, uh, I know I, I felt, you know what, maybe put the kid gloves on him, but he's taken the opportunity to, to, to be somewhat of a productive player, or at least trying to create something for this Canadians team. You have to wonder, like, the fact that the Canadians have said, you know what, like, they've put, they've finally been able to put some of these young players in. If I'm Alexander Romanov, I know a few people might be like, oh, you know, you're putting him in a high stress situation. There's nothing about the way Romanov handles himself that makes me think that he would be so spooked. And if you see all these other young players get opportunities in the lineup to do well, does that not make you think like, hey, if these guys were able to do it, why can't I do it as well? Uh, It just goes to show that, you know what, you can value playoff experience as much as you want. Sometimes it pays to be naive and not know better and just go out there and just play. And I think that, you know, if you're Dominic Ducharme, you're the Canadians, maybe you take a lesson from that here. Maybe you don't necessarily need to put the kid gloves on some guys when you know, uh, when you can, when, when they're showing you that they can play. And, and, and Caulfield has shown that. Uh, I know Nick Suzuki got experience in the bubble last year, but he's been getting a lot of time and he's been obviously good this season. Kakanyemi did not have the good end to the year, but he's, I thought he's, I thought he's been playing okay. I know he had his worst face off game in game five, but that's another guy who I think has been all right in this lineup. So I would hope if you're Dominic Ducharme and you look at how all the other younger players have stepped up at different points in the series, maybe that's something that would, you know, entice you to put Romanov in the lineup. But that's what I would expect. And again, with Jake Evans, another, another young player, funny enough, uh, who would normally be in the bottom six playing at that center. I'm still not sure what the nature of his injury is or how long he'll yeah. be out. He's still day to day, but if he's healthy, I would be stunned if he did not get the opportunity to to play because I think that's another guy who can provide some energy in the lineup for this Canadiens team, and they need it. On the Leafs side, I, I, as I mentioned, I think Travis Dermott has to come in for Rasmus Sandin. You can't be down to five defensemen and expect to uh, – well, you just can't put yourself in that position where you might end up at, with five defensemen more likely than not. And Nick Foligno, I mean, we talked about Jake Evans, the elephant in the room for the Maple Leafs is uh, Nick Foligno, who's been out since game one, I believe. About, yeah. But he's uh, at least missed the last three games. uh, And if he's ready to come back in, he's got to come back in. I mean, I I think I debated it by myself, whether or not, you know, where you would put him because Galchenyuk played so well and you're not breaking up that second line and you're not breaking up the third line. And I mean, you can take out Adam Brooks, but do you really want that as your fourth line, the, the gray beards with Nick Foligno? Uh, but if he's ready, he's got to come in wherever. If he takes Galchenyuk, if he takes Brooks, if he takes Joe Thornton, he's got to he's got to get in the lineup and he's got to prove his worth because the Maple Leafs spent a first round draft pick on him. They got to get him back in the lineup and contributing. 
Um, we have time for a tire pump if you have it. Um, it could be on the series. I mentioned Ethan Bear on my last podcast. I think he's the one mm. that deserves it for potentially the week. Uh, we also have the Hurricanes and Nashville Predators on right now, and it looks like the Carolina Hurricanes just tied it late in the third period or reasonably late in the third period. So we can't break down that game, but if you want to give some plaudits to someone, go for it. Um, that's a really good point. I, You know what's funny? I didn't even think about a, a tire pump necessarily. There's a lot but going on. There's a lot. There is a lot going on, but I'm just happy at the fact that this Leafs-Canadian series is a series, and it's not just something that just ends in five and is ultimately a dud because I think a lot of fans have uh, obviously through the pandemic, they've had to go through whatever they've had to go through ourselves included with whatever we've had to go through. Uh, so see, it's weird to say, but like sports have been able to provide like a bit of a welcome distraction from everything going on, even if there are the other, you know, moral things going on with sports. So to have Canadians Leafs was something I was very much looking forward to. I know you were looking forward to it as well, even mm -hmm. if there are some things missing. And again, the fact that we are going to be seeing some fans in the, in the barn at the bell center for game six, that's something I'm very much looking forward to. And Hey, look, I wasn't, I was not crazy about how Quebec was going to handle the, the pandemic at certain points, but give a big shout out to everyone in Quebec who found a way to behave themselves over these last few months and put ourselves in a position where we're going to get a curfew lifted. We're going to get some restrictions lifted. Uh, I got my first dose of the vaccine earlier this week. Uh, nature is healing. Nature is starting to heal. So uh, yeah, my, my tire pump goes to uh, everyone who's been going through this pandemic altogether, trying to make things better. And my heart goes out to everyone else in the rest of this country, hoping that, uh, they find ways through the darkness as well. I know in Ontario, it's not necessarily the most the best time right now, but uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, man. I, I hope you guys are able to get out of this. Can I just say that I enjoyed your vaccination post on social media more than anyone Thank else's? You. Thank you. Like I, I've been kind of like I, when I got vaccinated, I was like, man, these people that are doing this and working so hard they got to stop and wait for someone to take pictures all the time. Like I don't, I, people should be excited about this, but I always think about them. I'm like, they don't have to deal with that extra garbage all the time. I wish they didn't have to at least, but you just with the Nike hat, the just do it, a subtle messaging mm -hmm. hint at, you know, don't you be an idiot, it. go get a vaccine. I mean, that's the stuff of legends right there. That is why Julian McKenzie is a rising star in my eyes right there. I appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you. My big tire man. pump goes to you, Julian McKenzie. We've gone back to full circle <laughs> with how the tire pump came to be in the yes. first place. I yes, appreciate yes. this, sir. But that is legitimate, man. That is legitimate. It was a good post and uh, better than all the selfies that I'm seeing and kind of cringing <laughs> at it. Not to be a grump. Oh, man. I tr I took like a random like selfie at one point. I was like, this is not good. Like, I don't like this. So then I just decided to do that. I, I wanted to just do it hat like featured in it. That was definitely planned, but like I, I was really happy about it. No, that was good. My phone actually died when I was getting it. So I think that was just a Damn. sign from sign from the above that uh, don't be an idiot and try to be someone that you're not. Um, okay. We're going to be back this weekend to talk about game six from the terrace maybe one of us might be on a terrace terrace say terrace terrace yes terrace that's how you right? say it you know what's weird like i I'm like like every time i hear terrace i'm like what the hell like terrace 
Like, and really? it's funny because like I'm an anglophone, but like I'm used to saying like, "Yo, let's let's go out on the terrace or whatever, and let's let's drink beers there." Like, even with like my English friends, like we're like, "Yo, let's get let's go out on the terrace." Like, we don't say terrace. Interesting. It's a Quebec thing. I like it. I wish I was there on Saturday night to hit the terrace. Yes, you got I'm it. I'm uncomfortable saying it. Okay, let's no, move on. No, you got it. Uh, you, you got it. I know. I, I, I got it. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I need I need a couple more beers into me on the terrace. You got to come hang feel, out in Montreal, my G. You and I feel come real out. comfortable saying it. I will be there. Yeah. I will be there. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Okay. And we'll also figure it out this weekend with game six reaction. I didn't know we were going to get there but the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens are headed to a game six in the first round of the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. It could be the last series, you know, in the entire first round. It could be the one we're all waiting for, and we'll be there to cover it. Julian, thanks for coming on, man. Peace! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.